Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. Uh, a bit of a Ask Met style podcast this time after we've had a few guests on. And sorry for being up a little bit late this week, been a little bit busy sort of running around. But got Luke here to sort of chat through a few questions that have come through over the last little bit uh, regarding altitude uh, and understanding the, the effects of altitude, a little bit on VO2 and threshold and how they interrelate uh, across different athletes. So we'll start with the altitude question that came through from uh, one of our high performance guys, Glenn. Um, he was sort of interested in understanding the effects of altitude training as a marathon runner, how that can help him in terms of performance. So what, what the benefit of doing some altitude work is, is it a case of training there, sleeping in altitude? Do you want to just quickly run down the, the protocol that we, we sent out to him and, and what we recommend in terms of getting the most out of uh, adding that into his into his regime? Yeah, cool. So um, just a bit of background. So what Glenn did was he bought a, an altitude tent. So that's basically just a fancy tent that you put over your bed bedroom full bedroom team was it no or? so he, he got one for his bed initially he's yeah. thinking of doing the room though because it's a little bit more practical for him yeah. to be in the house so yeah so so he put it over his bed so basically what that does is it, it artificially takes oxygen out of the air so um at the moment we've got about 21 percent of oxygen uh, in the air he's reducing that down to probably about 13 percent so there's less oxygen your body adapts um it, it starts to use oxygen better there's a really simplistic way to do it so uh, the theory behind it is there's a couple, there's a there's a, a thing called train train low no live high, high train, train low, low. live yeah. high train low so ideally you want to live in a high altitude environment such as an altitude tent which reduces the oxygen but then you actually want to train in a normal environment so you can keep the intensity high because once you start to reduce the oxygen in the air uh, it's obviously a lot harder to maintain a high intensity because less aerobic system yeah. more anaerobic system more byproducts more fatigue okay so um, Let's get into the protocol. So basically the protocol, the ideal protocol is 12 hours a day of continuous exposure, which is quite a lot, um, at, correct me if I'm wrong, 21 to 2,500 meters? Yeah, 21 to 2,400. 2,400 yeah, meters so above sea level, yeah. um, which is reduced oxygen for three weeks of, of, of exposure. So it's 12 hours a day for three weeks at, uh, at a, a relatively high altitude. Um, the qu question he had for both of us is like 12 hours is pretty uh, unrealistic really yeah, for day to day for a non-professional yeah you don't yeah. want to sort of sit in your bed for 12 hours yeah. a day um his question was could could we do say 10 hours a day at either more altitude or just more than three weeks um i, I mean short answer is is i don't really know but you would assume that 10 hours uh, at, the, at a similar altitude or a little bit more is, is going to be better than doing nothing. So yeah, you will still get yeah. the benefit from having 10 yeah. hours. It's just like when you go for a training session, hey, I can't spend 15, 16 minutes of time at 95% virtual max, I spend 12 minutes at it. Yes, it's still, still better, better than nothing. doing nothing. So yeah. um, you still will get benefit. How much benefit? Generally speaking, about 3% performance improvement, which is significant. 3% is significant if you're already at your peak. Um, if you are just starting out, 3%, you can just go out and do some more training to yep. get 3%. Yep. Um, but when you are starting to hit that performance plateau, 3% improvement is, is quite significant. So um, that's sort of the process is, is going to go through. Uh, and uh, it's one of those ones where that three weeks, or we, we said to Glenn four weeks because he's only doing mm. 10 hours, you'll get that 3% benefit. And, and then if you jump out of the altitude tent, that'll last for about a similar amount of time, probably about three weeks. Yep. Uh, but you're not going to keep getting more benefit out of that as well because you, your blood components, that, that they're going to hit their uh, their safe maximum and they're going to plateau out. So that's a little bit about what he's, what he's up to. Yeah, so we briefly touched on live high, train low. Do you want to just give me quickly your thoughts on there's a few gyms that have popped up that are sort of 
promoting the opposite. Yep. Is there much benefit in Glenn doing a bit of training at that altitude and then having that the normal air exposure or doing it the other way in terms of yep. having like a one hour session altitude and then just living back at, at sea level? Or does it only work when you're living high and training low? Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess as I said before, something is better than nothing. So yes, it's going to work to an extent, but you've got to look, it's a, it's a balancing act. If you go do a session um, in a simulated altitude environment where you've got less oxygen, that's good, but your intensity is going to reduce, and therefore, if your intensity reduces, your stimulus might reduce, and it might sort of yeah. counterbalance each other yeah. out. So, if you wanted to do a zone two session, potentially you could look at doing that. Um, I think it's more applicable if you are. We've had a few mountaineers come in who are actually yeah, training, training at altitude, yeah. or, or not training. They're going to have to perform at altitude. So then, at least now that is a sport specific environment yeah. for them. So it's definitely useful for that. But if you, if you are training at a at a normal altitude, or sorry, if you're competing at a normal altitude. Um, you are better off to try to sleep at altitude yeah. and keep your your training in a normal environment so you can maintain that intensity. Yeah, maintain that training quality and just get the physiological adaptation to being in that in that environment rather yeah. than actually physi- physically having to train in it. Yeah, um, spot on. Which is the spot on one there. So a little bit on altitude there covers off uh, basically the core principles to it. It's really sort of the key is that continuous exposure and consistent exposure. It's not something you can go in and just solving a day it takes a couple of weeks to adapt but then also it disappears quite quickly so timing of that altitude we spoke to him about when it's probably best for him to implement the really long doses of the altitude exposure you want to just quickly tap into when ideally we should go into um sleeping in altitude more so and then to time it perfectly for your key event yeah of course as i said it takes uh, three to maybe four weeks if it's Mm -hmm. less than 12 hours to do it so uh, I'd recommend doing it probably six weeks out from a, a key event. So we said it lasts about a one-to-one, it's three weeks of continuous exposure. You'll see those benefits for three weeks or so, and then it might start to reduce off a bit. So probably about six weeks out is fine. Yeah. Um, I remember a question he asked us was, should I just do it all year round? You can, but you don't need to. Yeah, yeah that's no, mm. you can. Um, if you get quite comfortable with sleeping at altitude, that's great. Um, he did ask a question on recovery, though. He did, which yeah. Which is probably the, the interesting thing, if that cuts you off a little bit too soon. But how do you perceive it? as impacting his recovery day to day. If he's sleeping in it, doing a hard session during the day at sea level, then sleeping at altitude with yeah. less oxygen, does it make it longer for him to recover or? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And again, it's one that I, I would say that I, I've got a fair idea, but at the same time, further research mm. probably required. Um, will it affect recovery? It, it's not gonna make recovery better, that's for sure. Yeah. So if, if anything, it's gonna be the same or maybe slightly worse recovery. If we have less oxygen in the air, look, we know the body needs oxygen to metabolize lactic acid, the fatiguing component of the anaerobic system there. Um, to repair muscle tissue, we need oxygen. Lots of things we need oxygen for. So mm-hmm. by reducing that oxygen, you would think that that's probably not gonna be ideal. At least it's at a low intensity. So you're still gonna have, uh, as in resting intensity, so you're still gonna have plenty coming in. So it may not affect too much. But then again, you look at hyperbaric chambers, which is very high in oxygen, so where it gets it to 100% oxygen, mm-hmm. right? So you, as opposed to the 21% that we have, um, and then you pump up the uh, the pressure to, to, to let it diffuse into your, to your muscles more, um, that is very good at recovering yourself a lot quicker. So you would assume that, all right, if that's good for recovery, then by reducing our 
our oxygen mm. concentration is probably not ideal. Yeah. Um, but again, it is a resting intensity. So it's either going to be the same or maybe slightly hinder that recovery. Yeah. Um, probably the main thing that will hinder your recovery is, is I've heard that anecdotally people struggle to sleep at that altitude just because it's, it's a different environment. It's kind of not even necessarily because of the oxygen concentration, just because you've got a tent over, over you, you're not used to that. Yeah. Um, so if, you're, if your sleep is affected, that's obviously going to be quite detrimental to your recovery. So it is an interesting one. Um, yeah, and if, 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 if somebody does struggle to sleep and recover through that, then uh, as I said, just do it for three to four weeks and then basically periodize it, do it, recover, do it, recover, so on and so yep. forth. James Hansen, we know, has, he did it for nine months straight. So mm. he's a 338 runner for 1500. Obviously, he's quite comfortable in that. So no problems to do it all, all, all year round if you yep. want to. Um, but you will plateau at that about 3%. Mm. Uh, and you've got to weigh up whether you're, it's affecting your recovery or not. Yeah, 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 cool. So a bit of thing about around, around altitude, we'll also work with Glenn uh, over the next little while. We're sort of interested to monitor his progress with it and, and yeah, see, see how he's actually tracking with it too. Um, next question that did come in. Uh, I think it was Luke who sent sent the question in. He was asking about athletes who athletes who might be a similar similar fitness level performance level that might have the same VO two max. How can they potentially have a slightly different threshold or percentage of that VO two max that they can use? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So yeah, his question was: mm. if you have two athletes with the same VO two max, we always say, hey, it depends on your threshold. Why does threshold change physiologically? What is, the, what is the reason for that change individually? And it is a good question, and it, it's one of those ones where, look, we can go into a lot of biochemistry, which I don't even understand, so I'm not going to bother. Yeah. It's pretty complicated. Um, as a really simplistic way of putting it, VO2 max is, is an aerobic adaptation, um, and your buffering capacity and, and tolerance of that lactic acid is more of an anaerobic adaptation, okay? And that's where the difference happens. So you might be aerobically very similar or the same, but then anaerobically you've got variations, okay? So the body is, as a, as a brief, brief background, um, your body bump, bleh, dumps bicarbonate, okay? So your, your blood is a certain pH level, 7.35 to 7.45, all right? We have bicarb, it brings it higher, which is not necessarily good or bad, but it's less acidic. We produce hydronized lactic acid that burn in the legs, it brings it down. So what your body does is this is where it wants to be in terms of pH. We start to exercise high intensity, we get um, those hydronized, the lactic acid in the blood, it reduces the pH. The body then dumps bicarbonate, which is the opposite, and brings it back up again. Okay, So the body can get better at dumping bicarbonate through traditionally anaerobic training, so yeah. really a lot of sprint that sprint stuff with low recovery, etc. Um, so that's that's sort of physiologically the reason why some people can only hold 70%, others can hold 95%. Uh, it's gonna come down to your training history, your genetics, slow twitch versus fast twitch fibers. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're sort of the two main factors there as well. So we've seen people that obviously can hold seven plus millimoles of lactate mm. before they hit their threshold. Yeah. And then somebody who is, is maybe a genetically predisposed to slow twitch fibers and maybe they only do long slow continuous training you know 2.93 millimoles of lactate and then they get that exponential rise so it's to do with the the, the comp genetic composition of slow twitch fast twitch and also your training history in, in terms of whether you're doing aerobic or anaerobic training yeah you touched on it briefly there in terms of if you were to look at two athletes who had similar vo2 max it, it, it if for example used professional level where there's probably not too much more they can go they've hit their ceiling as to where their vo2 max can get if we've got one athlete who's sitting at their threshold sitting at 90 percent of their vo2 max or 95 percent really really high and an athlete is slightly lower what would you pro what, what would you prescribe in terms of 
types of training session to try and boost it up specifically? What what are you targeting? Yeah, so obviously we want to it's anaerobic dominantly anaerobic training because we want to get the body better at dumping that bicarbonate so um, we're looking at that zone three and zone five stuff uh, which we've spoken about a lot so zone three session might be spending time basically at or you know slightly above that threshold so you're yeah. producing quite a lot of that lactic acid um, and then you're having a smaller recovery so it might be five minutes at or above maybe you're at 105 percent of your threshold uh, you legs are burning, but then you only have a two and a half minute, say, float recovery where you jog around. So your lactic acid is coming in, you have a partial recovery, it's still in there, back in again. So your body, because you're constantly in the presence of elevated lactic acid levels, your body's gonna get better at, at tolerating and dumping that bicarb to, to bring it back down. Uh, another good one is is maybe more sort of, what would you call it, repeat sprint training, I suppose, yeah. where you go flat out for, not even sprint, 30 seconds, you might be going flat out, um, having a slightly longer recovery, but the, all you need to do is is get that lactic acid in the body, have a have a partial recovery, and then go again. Okay, it's a little bit different to the VO two style stuff where we want to have a full recovery so we can hit that high intensity. We might not need to go that high, but we need to be in well, essentially in pain the whole time, yeah, yeah, more or less. Making yourself hurt, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly so right. To tolerate it, yeah, cool. Uh, second part to to Luke's question, uh, I've got my notes here. Was um, why then is something like your threshold or, or lactate inflection point, the, the same same thing, if you like. Why is that the better indicator of performance over VO2 max? So if we have if we have two athletes with different VO2 maxes, one's got a higher VO2 max, but the other one can hold a greater percentage of their engine, yep. why, why is threshold more of that performance indicator rather than VO2 max? Yeah, cool. I'll probably go one further than that. Uh, context is important, but mm. the, the best indicator of who is going to win a race is velocity at lactate threshold, yep. okay? Because velocity at lactate threshold not only takes into account what is your lactate threshold, it's also how economically are you moving, let's say running for example, how economically are you using the oxygen that, mm. you, that, you um, that you're creating. So um, your VO2 max is not functional, you can't really use, you could be at 100% VO2 max for, oh, it's going to vary depending on stuff, but you know, three to maybe five minutes if you're lucky, okay, yeah. That's, it's, so it's not really that Specific if we're talking about a 10k half marathon, full marathon, whatever it is, all right? If you're a 1500 meter runner, VO2 max generally is a better indicator. Okay, yeah. but anything over about five minutes, we're looking at the velocity of lactate threshold. Um, and that, the reason that is is because lactate threshold, our, our, in theory, our lactic acid coming in is exactly met by what's coming out. So we're at a nice steady state. We can hold this for 45 to 60 minutes plus or minus, depending on your training history. Um, whereas, as I said, VO2 max, you can only hold for sort of three to five minutes. So that's why it's, it's a better indicator. Um, if you have a, a race that's more than five minutes, it's, it's not about yeah, how fast you can run over 10 seconds or a minute or three minutes it's how much you can maintain that. So once you go beyond your lactate inflection point, beyond your threshold, your lactic acid starts to accumulate in the blood. It's just a matter of time until that keeps building up, building up, building up, causes that very severe burn and, and you have to slow down to clear it out. So uh, that's sort of why. Velocity at lactate threshold, as I said, takes into account not just that threshold, but also how well or the, how economical you're moving. Uh, you want to be able to run as fast as possible using the least amount of oxygen as possible as well uh, to best maximize your performance. Yeah, and does that still hold true for the longer duration events? So you said 45, 20 hours, that theoretical um, time that we can sit on that threshold for. If you're going out and doing a four hour, five hour, six hour event, is it relative then, like your performance is relative to that? So if you've got that high velocity at, at threshold, then you're likely gonna be able to hold a slightly higher, lower intensity if you like, slightly higher sub-maximal. Yep. Um, 
Does that make sense where I'm going? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Th- threshold's way up here, so now I should be able to race a, a, a five-hour race at, at this intensity or a ten-hour there as opposed yeah. to my threshold's further back, obviously. Yeah, even though threshold's meant to be for an hour, is it still beneficial for a six-hour event to, 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 to work on that mm. and get that as high as possible? Um, it is, yeah, for, for sure it is. Uh, but obviously, as we go longer, two hours, three hours, five hours, six hours, there's more components of endurance success. And maybe we'll link that, that yeah. article of the, the seven yeah, core seven components. Points, yeah. Because once we get longer, then it's not just about, especially after two hours, it's not just about what is your velocity at lactate threshold. It's um, who can eat the most carbohydrates, yeah. yeah. you know, it's your fat versus rehydration. carb. Rehydration. Yeah. What's the temperature like? Um, there's a lot more factors to play a part when we get into longer duration events i'll still recommend getting that threshold up as high as possible mm-hmm. but i suppose once we're going sort of five hours beyond then it's let's be specific as well okay you're not going to hold threshold for that long it's not going to happen yeah. but if you can get a higher threshold and have less lactic acid being produced you're going to have less running perceived exertion you probably need a little bit more fat compared to carbohydrates so you push it up more because your body's better at using oxygen so yeah. that's good um, and then so long as you are then supplementing um, and getting carbohydrates back in you should be able to hold a higher intensity for longer. But there are a lot of elements um, that, that play a part yeah. when we're looking at longer duration events as well. Yeah, still obviously, still relevant, but particularly longer stuff, you have to consider all those other factors that, that go into it. So um, anything else you want to add on, on either of those? Look, maybe just talking about aerobic capacity for the longer stuff. Uh, aerobic capacity is basically being able to use oxygen for the duration of an event. Um, it, you want to have a very solid aerobic capacity to be able to run for or whatever, yeah. five, six, mm. seven hours. You need to be able to be quite economical and efficient using that oxygen. So um, you might find if you go out for a run, I always found it back when I, I'm still not very fit, but when I, <laughs> I'm not, not an aerobic athlete, but I always found that after about um, you know two hours of running, my heart rate would then start to drift up. Same pace, but it would start to drift up. And I was hydrating plenty, that was yeah. all fine, but my body, I didn't have the aerobic capacity to continue using oxygen economically and efficiently there. So um, aerobic capacity is basically doing your zone two long slow stuff that's probably going to be the better or one of not better it's one of the indicators for that for that five six seven hour stuff you want to have yeah good lactate threshold but you also want to be able to, to use oxygen as well as possible that way you don't need to worry about accumulating lactic acid yeah. as well because they do play a part so even though one's aerobic one's anaerobic better if you're better aerobically you don't need to rely on that anaerobic system until later that pushes our threshold up and then once we start to accumulate the lactic acid then we want to be able to really good at buffering that through anaerobic style training so they do work together but they are different depending on what you do and specificity too if you're doing those long events it makes sense to do the long slow long slow training um, yeah you, you're gonna that's what you're going to be racing at essentially you're not going to be racing like you said at, at threshold intensity if you're racing for five hours an intensity it's only going to last 45 60 minutes not really good for you in the in the long run so i think we'll leave it there for today um some really great questions that came through. Please keep sending them uh, to the Mastermind page or emailing through to us. Happy to answer them on the podcast. If you've got really specific questions you want us to answer about, about preparation that, we like those two little case study scenarios we've sort of been talking about. It'd be really good to have on here. So if anyone does have any questions they want to want to shoot through, more than welcome to. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you in the next one.